Man, can I get an amen on that? Oh, man, that was so good. Nothing else will do. Isn't that cool? This is just going to keep doing this, isn't it? You know, when I, when I work with the worship team, we talk about theme, but we don't get into like very specific things. And this song is like the perfect song to start this series. Because when we're talking about forever encounters, ultimately, whatever encounters you have, at the end of the day, nothing else will do but Jesus. I am really excited about this new series called Forever Encounters. We're going to be looking at our own lives. We're going to be looking at the lives of some of the uh, men and women of faith and their encounters and how they worked out and how their lives were changed. And I think it's really important for us to look at those and say, okay, how does that, what does that mean for me today? And for the past uh, five and a half years that I've been here, uh, I've had so many people come to me and say, would you please retell your testimony? There are so many new people here. Can you retell your testimony? Can you retell your testimony? And I hate to retell stories like that, but I finally have crumbled when it comes to this series. Uh, so if you've heard the testimony, hopefully you'll enjoy it again. And if you've not, hopefully it'll be an inspiration to you. This will be the story about my forever encounter with Jesus. Well, let's pray together as we, as we move forward. Father in heaven, thank you for those who are here. Thank you for those who are listening online. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would do all that you can in our lives so that we can get back to worshiping you fully present with you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing to our lives, uh, that you would uh, bring uh, joy and, 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 and energy so that we can say, hey, let's, let's come back to church and have fellowship and let's, let's praise God uh, in, in, in live and in presence, Lord. I, I look forward to that day. I know that it's coming soon, Lord, and I praise God for that. But I want to thank you for those who are here today. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of us and that uh, we would uh, experience a forever encounter with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. From the moment that we are born, we have this longing, this, 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 this yearning for an encounter, an encounter that will satisfy the desires of our hearts. Once the long time ago, the ancient king, many who believed was one of the wisest men that ever lived, said, God has planted eternity into the human heart. God has planted eternity. In other words, all of us have this, this thing in our hearts, and we're just waiting for something to, to, to answer it. I, I love how Pascal uh, a philosopher back in 1670 put it. Uh, I'm going to put this up here. This is such an awesome quote. It says, There was once in man a true happiness. Like back in the garden. There was once in man a true happiness. Which, by the way, suggests that there is a pseudo-happiness, isn't it? Of which 
All that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite infinite and immutable object. In other words, God himself. The only way that we can fill the vacuum in our lives is with God himself. We are all searching for it. From the moment that we are born, we have this longing, we have this yearning for an encounter, an encounter that will satisfy the desire of our hearts. Now, it looks different for everybody. For me, it was, when I was a kid, it was being able to play with friends and being able to speak their language. Because I was, I, I was Italian and American, and, and when I was in Italy, I couldn't speak Italian, and when I was in America, I couldn't speak English. And it caused all kinds of problems, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. But there was loneliness, and so it, to me, was, was friends that I could connect with. It, to me, uh, at some point, was a uh, 10-speed bike. It, to me, at some point, was a great drum set. It, to me, at some point, was uh, getting a college degree and, 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 and doing something with it that would make my parents proud. It, to me, was finding just the right woman to marry. And I got really lucky, but I learned that none of those were it. They're all great, and they all can satisfy to some degree, but the only it that really matters is Jesus Christ. There is this nagging sense of something unfinished. We all have this restlessness within the human heart, this innate desire for an encounter with the eternal, a deep inner craving that this emptiness that needs to be filled. And I am so fully convinced that the infinite abyss can only be satisfied, truly satisfied, with a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to make sure that you understand that there was no, we make no bones about it here. At the end of the day, although we celebrate everybody's successes and everybody's wonderful achievements, at the end of the day, what's most important, though, is Jesus Christ. Is he alive in your heart? And if you walk out of this church without Jesus in your heart, without knowing fully, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that you have salvation in him, you have, you have, you have missed a point. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? So here's my story and how God filled the vacuum in my heart. I was born in New Rochelle, New York. Okay, so let me make this little statement right from the beginning. You're going to see a bunch of pictures of me that were much, are much cuter and handsomer than I am today. You keep that to yourselves afterwards, okay? But that's, that's, a, that's a picture of me fairly early in my life. And uh, I was born in New York. A lot of people think I was born in Italy. Actually, I wasn't. I was born in New Rochelle, New York, 
to immigrant parents. My dad and my mom uh, had big dreams. Uh, my dad took some courage to come. His dad before him had come and then left, went back, didn't really like it. But my dad said, no, we could do this. We got to go back there. There's so much more opportunity in the United States, in America. And so my mom followed and and, and, and they went, in fact, at that time, they already had one child, and they went to America, and they began to live in New Rochelle, and we lived in this neighborhood that wasn't necessarily the, the best neighborhood in the world. Uh, we had friends, and, and there were colleagues, and, and, but the apartment was small, and we lived a fairly poor life. Uh, my dad tried the best he could. He was industrious, um, but they had more kids. They had my brother Sal, and then they had me, and then they had my sister Roseanne. And uh, we, um, you know, we were having a great time in America. We didn't know any better. You know, I, I, I was three years old at the time, trying to figure out life. And, but I'll never forget one of my favorite memories was my dad taking us to this amusement park called Playland in Rye, New York. Uh, if you were familiar with New York, you would know Playland. And this was this little, short, small little amusement park that got bigger and bigger and bigger as time has gone up. But uh, play, I'll never forget this, this time that my dad brought me there, and, he, and he, he was holding me. It's amazing the things that we remember that are etched in our memories from, from when we were little, right? He's holding me as I am on this carousel horse. And he's got this smile on his face, and he's like, just saying, things in Italian to me that are very calming because he knew that I was kind of stressed, but I wanted to be on the horse, you know. And that day, a thunderstorm came, and it was so loud and so scary. I'll never forget the ride stopped, and my dad picked me up and held me in his arms. And then we went somewhere that was safe and met my mom and my other siblings. And that's, that's all I remember, the next thing I know, my life changed. For what I understand is that my mom got a little tired of, of living in New York under those conditions. My dad was becoming an electrician and he wasn't making that much money yet. And so he couldn't yet afford a good place. And my mom wanted to live up a little bit north of New Rochelle, a little closer to Scarsdale, but my dad couldn't afford it, and, and, and my mom was missing her mom, uh, which her mom lived in uh, Italy, Nonna Sofia, and, and, and so we, she wanted, and so next thing I know, she wants to go back. And so they make this plan, this plan that, that we would all go back to Italy except for my father, and my father would work in the United States and as an electrician, get his master electrician license and make enough money to buy a better house and then call us all back to the States at some point in life. This happened quite a bit, by the way, with immigrants in those days. And so, uh, so we moved to a place called Napoli. And I don't know if the picture of Napoli is up there. There it is. It's a beautiful place. Anybody ever been to Napoli, Naples, Italy? Man, you're missing out. Okay, good. A couple of people. Nice. You are missing out, man. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And it is, uh, there's a, a beautiful mountain in the, pa in the, in the uh, background. Anybody know what that is right there, by the way? 
It's the Vesuvius. Yes, I think I heard somebody say that. It's the Vesuvius. And once in a while, it gets angry. And um, my brother, Claudio, who's my oldest brother, lived through some of that time when Vesuvius kind of exploded and there was an earthquake and it was kind of changed his life in a sense. But uh, it was beautiful living there. I was happy as far as I was new until, uh, you know, my brothers went to school. I was still little, so I, I was like playing at home. You know, I, my mom says that I could play a soccer game all by myself. And it would sound like there were 30 people in the room. I mean, that's just, just the way I've always been. And, uh, and then the day came where I had to go to school. And I didn't want to go to school. I was really kind of afraid of going to school because my brothers had gone to school, and this was a uh, Catholic school. And back in those days, Catholic schools had priests and nuns that were totally okay with using whatever they needed to use to get you to obey, if you understand what I mean. And I remember feeling like, man, I don't know if I want to go to school. And I remember thinking my brothers, you know, they would come home with their knuckles all red, and my brother Sal especially, man, I don't know what it was about him, but he'd always get in trouble. And it was, I mean, I'm just, the moment I, I, I remember thinking about going to school, I, was, I would get all anxiety and I would get all upset. There was, we had heard that there was one really good teacher there at this school, and the teacher, her name was uh, Miss Pavoni. But you had to be really, really lucky to, 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 to get her as a teacher. And, um, oh, it's already up there, huh? So, a uh, couple of things about this. Uh, that's Miss Pavoni right there. Uh, and so, yes, I got lucky. I was able to get Miss Pavoni as my teacher. And she was not a nun. She was not a priest. Uh, she was a very loving and sweet lady, although I did not know that. And even though I was hoping to get her, I really didn't even want to go to school anyway, so that, that really was not a good thing. But Miss Pavoni... Uh, was very, very sweet. I remember being told this uh, by my mom that when I, was, when I first went to school that first day, I held on to her leg and I cried like a baby and cried and cried. In fact, my mom says, I had to kind of pull you off my leg, put you at the desk and run out. And apparently, uh, I cried and cried and cried the whole time. You can put the picture of of the school again up, if you don't mind. Uh, cried and cried, just, just like the whole time I was there, cried and cried and cried and cried for the whole day. My mom took me there the next day. Same thing, pulled me out, put me at the desk, and I cried and cried and cried the whole day. And the next day. Apparently, I did this for like three weeks in a row. For three weeks in a row, my mom would take me to the school uh, and, and by the way, those are aprons, not dresses, just in case you're wondering. It's really important for me to point that out. And I am actually, if you look, if you're wondering which one I am, if you look at the second top line, the first guy from your left, that would be me in front of the girl. So uh, second from the top line and right in front of the girl, that's, that's me right there. This is a little later. This is like third grade, I believe, or second grade. And, uh, but apparently that third week, 
my teacher was very, very patient. And I do remember this a little bit. As I was crying and I had my head on the desk just sobbing because I just wanted to go home. I think part of it too is I missed my dad and I couldn't talk to him about it all, you know. I couldn't get his encouragement. Mom was great, but she had four of us to deal with. I remember sitting there at that table, my head down, sobbing uncontrollably, and the teacher comes by, and she puts a piece of paper at my desk, and she puts a box, a box of Giotto crayons. We don't have Crayola crayons in Italy. We have Giotto crayons. And Giotto crayons are just unbelievable. Until this day, I don't know about you, and, and if you're willing to get vulnerable with me, I'd love to hear this, but I love the smell of crayons. Anybody here love the smell of crayons? I, okay, thank you. Somebody is willing to admit it. I love this. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was from that day. But I remember sitting there, and there was this box of Jota crayons and this white piece of paper, and I'm crying, and I'm like, hmm, <laughs> crayons. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I guess maybe I got tired of crying. I got sick of it all. And I opened up the box of crayons, and I took out the blue, the deep blue crayon. And I began to draw on this white piece of paper. And it was waves, just drawing waves. Somehow I had learned to draw waves. And then after I drew the waves, I decided to draw a boat, like a sailboat. Not like a little stinky sailboat. I'm talking about like a Mina Pinta Santa Maria type of sailboat. You know what I mean? One of those big ones with the wind blowing. And it, I mean, this, again, I was five years old, six years old at the time, so use your imagination. But I drew this boat, you know, and, and then I drew sky, and I drew clouds, and I drew birds, and I was doing this thing. thing. And my teacher comes by, and she, uh, she, she, uh, she comes by. She looks at my picture... And she says, oh, Sergio, you drew that? And I'm like, well, yeah, there's nobody else here. <laughs> and she says, oh, wow. And she holds it up and she says, look, this is, look, look what Sergio drew. This is not it, this is just blank, but just work with me on this. Look what Sergio drew. And she holds it up for all the kids. She says, look at this. And then, and then she goes, yeah. And all the kids are like, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, so now they all start applauding, you know, for the crying boy, you know. And then suddenly uh, she goes, this is unbelievable. And it just came out of my mouth. I don't know why. It just bleh, it just came out. And I said, I, I drew it for you. And she took that piece of paper. And she looked at it. And she said, oh, Sergio, I will keep it. And she put it right next to her heart. I will keep this for the rest of my life. From that moment on, she became my best friend. She was single. <laughs> Don't go there. Just, just stay with me on this. Uh, and so she would come over 
for, for dinner. My, my, my mom would have her over for dinner. My mom would have her over for parties, anything, anything special that would happen. She would come over, and she kind of became a friend of the family. And we just had a, 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 just a wonderful time. Uh, you know, I, I, I was the epitome of the teacher's pet. You know, when you, when you bring an apple to the teacher, you know what I'm talking about? I brought lasagna, but it was the same idea. You know what I mean? Just this is this, that was the teacher's pet, and and you didn't mess with Miss Pavoni. You mess with Miss Pavoni, you mess with me. I mean, that was really the key here. You don't mess with her. Don't you mess with her? And we became friends, and we were friends for many, 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 many years. So I went from crying to her becoming my best friend. I'll never forget one time, and uh, I think it was third grade. She gave an assignment. And the assignment was, write what your dad does for work. And it was homework. So we went home, and I was supposed to write what my dad did for work. And um, I wasn't sure. And I guess I was embarrassed to ask my mom, and I couldn't ask my dad because he wasn't there. And I remember... uh, that night, realizing that I hadn't done this homework, and I had always done my homework, because this was my favorite teacher. She was great, and I certainly didn't want to get punished, and I certainly didn't want to disappoint her. And so I remember, I remember getting on my knees that night and crying hysterically, please, God, if there's any way that you can make it rain <laughs> really, really hard, because we didn't have snow in Naples, but if it rained really, really hard, my mom wouldn't send us, you know? Please, Lord, make it rain. And I remember falling asleep on my knees that day, my mom waking me up, and I'm going, oh, oh, mom, I'm sorry. And she's like, it's okay, go back to bed. I'm like, wait, I got to go to school. And she said, no, there's no school, look outside. And I, walked, I looked outside, and all of a sudden I hear thunder and lightning, and it was pouring outside. And God, it was the first time I ever remember thinking that God answers prayers. I wasn't even a believer, really. I was just like, yeah, God, thanks, you know. Then went about my merry way again, you know. But that moment, I knew that God had answered my prayer. I'll never forget the day my dad wrote back to tell us that he had made enough money and had bought a house, a nice Tudor home, right in the middle of the Rochelle, and that he had purchased tickets for us to all come back. And we were going to be coming back on this luxury liner. And, you know, my mom was really good. She would tell us, look, here's some great, you know, she would show us pictures of the house, and there's woods in the back of the house, and, and you know, dad's going to get you a bicycle, and, and of course, she's really pumping this up and making this really kind of cool, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, well, that's nice, and, and she's making, but, you know, I, I was like, I don't even know how to speak English anymore. I had just figured out how to speak Italian in fourth grade, you know, now I'm fully speaking Italian. I can't speak a word of English, and I'm hearing this, and she's really trying to sell this, this old America thing, and, and I remember thinking, that I'm excited, you know, because it's going to be a great trip, but, but what about, like, who's going to be my teacher? 
See, in Italy, your kindergarten teacher was your first grade teacher and your second grade teacher and your third grade teacher and your fourth grade teacher and your fifth grade teacher and your sixth grade teacher. You kept the same teacher all through six grades. So I was excited about keeping her for a couple more years. But all of a sudden, I'm finding, beginning to realize I don't get to keep her. I don't get to, to be with her now. What am I going to do? I'll never forget the day that I had to tell her that we were leaving. And I remember her feeling really kind of you know, upset about it because she came to love us as a family. But immediately she began to tell us what a wonderful place America was and everything was going to be so much better. And everything was, and I was like, well, what about the teachers? Oh, they had the best teachers, you know. Oh, what about the kids? Oh, they had the best kids. And everything is bigger in, in, in the United States, you know. They have bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger people, bigger everything. You know, everything's bigger. Everything's better. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. who's going to teach me? Oh, you're going to love your teacher. And then I, then, I, then I switched over. Will you come and say goodbye when we leave the port of Naples and... She never missed a day of school. And she immediately, she didn't even want to steer me wrong. She immediately said, Sergio, you know I cannot come. That's a school day. It's a Thursday. I can't come. There's no way on earth I can come. Oh, but Miss Pavoni, please, I mean, I'm never going to see you again. Oh, you don't know that, you know. And we went on back and forth for about 15, 20 minutes until finally she does what every adult does. You know what that is, right? She said, well, we'll see. I'll never forget the feeling I had in my stomach as I said goodbye to her that day. She had impacted my life. Have you ever met somebody like that? That impacted your life that much? Have you ever impacted somebody's life that much? Till this day, I remember her. So we came to America... And there were certainly exciting days, but there were also days of confusion and um, loneliness. I didn't have any friends. I didn't really have any close friends until I didn't have any close friends until um, I was in high school, tenth grade. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Really did not. And the only reason why I began to have friends in 10th grade is because I had purposed in my heart that I was going to be the best drummer in the world. That's what I was going to do. And so my dad got me a drum set and stopped playing on pots and pans and everything else. Apparently I was playing since I was four years old. I didn't even know, but I just kept, I had rhythm in me. You can't shut rhythm in you, by the way, if you have rhythm, just so you know. And so I was playing and playing and playing, and I, and I, I got into one band after another band into another band. My good friend Ed Zadnaski was my uh, the guitar player, and we went from place to we would go to parties, and I would have drumsticks, and he would have his guitar, and we would just go to a party, and there was always a drum set, and there was always an amp for him to plug into, and we would play. I mean, that's how people knew us that way in high school. That's how I got to to be known, and, every, and I loved it. This was my new identity. Finally, I was somebody. Drums became my it. And then one day, I met a guy by the name of Tony. I had graduated high school, 
And I, uh, my mom wanted me to go to college. I did not want to go to college. I was just going to play the drums. So I decided to make her happy. I would go to the Westchester Conservatory of Music and take some classes. You know what I'm saying? And I hated it, just so you know. I couldn't stand it. Like, I like playing by ear, not like robotically. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Anyway, so I, uh, I remember going there, and I met this guy named Tony. And this guy, Tony, was from the Bronx. And he and I had similar families, similar likes, similar things. We liked the same kind of music and everything. And we decided, why don't we do a band together? And we decided to create this band. And uh, we got to... Uh, get some friends to come with us. We had a keyboard player and a bass player and a singer, and we all came together, and we played this, this music together. And it was really, really uh, kind of interesting. Uh, Tony and I became, like, till this day, he's one of my closest, closest friends. He lives in New York still. We keep in touch. Uh, during that time, we met a guy by the name of Vinny D., and Vinny D was, uh, was actually a friend of our keyboard player, and he was the, the um, um, uh, producer for a, a band back then known as the Jackson 5. Have you ever heard of the Jackson 5? Uh, he was influential in getting the, the Beatles to come to, to America back in the 60s. I mean, he was a big deal. And he comes over, and he listens to our music, and he says, if you can write music like this, I'll come back in a year and we'll get you going. We'll make you very, 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 very wealthy. What we didn't know back in those days, however, is that this is the 70s. Back in those days, what that meant is, I can make you into a can of beans. And, I, and you're just kind of going to be the product, and I'll be making lots of money. That's, that's really what he meant, but we didn't know. We just thought, well, we'll make a lot of money. This is going to be great. And so we began to, to play in bars, and maybe you could put the pictures of some of the... Uh, our group was called Aesop, and that's... that's we were, this, is, this is a place called the Rising Sun. We called it the Rising Slum, just so you know. How bad this is in White Plains, New York. And then uh, here's another picture of my, uh, that's me playing the drums. You could tell that's the 70s. There's a big gong in the back and blocks and roto-toms. Uh, and then uh, one more picture, that's uh, us in the band there. And we played uh, together for many, many, many months. And we wrote our own music. And quite honestly, it actually became really, really good. During this time, however, Tony was still going to the conservatory of music, and he was taking classical guitar lessons from a guy that was not only a, a classical guitar teacher, but he was also a Seventh-day Adventist. And he didn't only take classical guitar very seriously, but he took his Jesusness really, really seriously. And so not only did he teach him how to play guitar, but he was also sharing him a little bit about Jesus. And there came a point where Tony was like, well, how do you play so good? How, how can you be so good? Jimmy was great, by the way. He knew exactly what to say and how to say it and when to say it. And Jimmy was like, are you sure you want me to tell you? And he goes, yeah, I want to know. How, how do I get to play like that? And he goes, well, number one, it has to do with how much practice you put in. Number two, it has to do with how much practice you put in. Number three, it has to do with how much practice. Wait a minute, really that said? And Jimmy goes, no. I mean, practice is important, he says. But number one, everything I play is for the glory of God. This was so new to Tony. Like, God, like, like Jesus, the Pope? And like, is that what you mean by God, you know? Well, kind of. Next thing you know, Tony is having Bible studies with Jimmy 
and, 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 and he would be coming to pick me up for practice, and he'd come late. We'd have to drive all the way to Long Island, and it was really late, and, and he would be telling me about all the things that he was learning, and, this, and I'm like, dude, relax, man. That's not, you know, like, just, just you know, two, two rules in this car, okay? Number one, don't give me a downer by talking about Jesus, and number two, don't drink any Kool-Aid, okay? Because this is really not a good thing for you. I, you know, I'm afraid you're, you're joining some cult or something. This is right around the time of Jim Jones. You remember Jim Jones' cult stuff? And uh, boy, I tell you what, he kept at it, kept at it. And if you know Tony, he's just a very gentle kind of man. And he just kept at it. He used to call me the brick wall. I used to tell him he was brainwashed. And then I used to talk to him about it. And I would ask him questions. And he would always have some great answers. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah. Let's put this verse up. Isaiah 55, verse 11. It says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me what? Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you hear, read, sometimes I actually read God's word aloud. If you read it and hear it, it will not return to God empty. It will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purposes for which he sends it. I love this verse. And this is exactly what was happening with his gentleness and with his persistence. Tony kept sharing with me Bible stuff and Bible studies. I had never heard of Daniel. I had never heard of David. I had never heard of Joseph. See, some of you guys grew up with this stuff. I did not. I was like, really, this stuff is real? And, and although I was resisting it, it was doing something in me. Do you know what I'm talking about? And if you ever are praying for somebody and you're working with somebody, and maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a sibling, I don't know who it is. Maybe it's even your parents. I don't know. But I gotta tell you right now, don't get discouraged. Just lovingly, persistently keep at it because the word of God does not return to him empty. Well, the next nine months, went to church with him, experienced vegetarian meals, which was quite novel for an Italian. I'll never forget the first time they said, hey, we're going to have haystacks. I'm like, okay, you're taking this vegetarian thing way too far now. You know, we say things without even realizing that, that a lot of people didn't even understand this language, right? I don't know. I have no idea. And I can tell you stories. I don't have the time. I'll never forget the first time I went to a baptism. My first baptism I ever attended, it was, it was outside by a river, right? It would have been nice, but it was pouring outside. There are mosquitoes all over the place biting me. You know, as we're singing, there's power in the blood. I'm like, yeah, of course. That's exactly what the, the mosquitoes are singing right now, you know? just unbelievable. I hated it. I, I, I thought I would have loved it. I would have enjoyed it, but I didn't like it at all. It took some time. Meanwhile, the band was still going strong. So I was going to church. I was having Bible studies, and I'm in the band, and we meet this couple who have uh, connections in Singapore. He uh, does acupuncture 
for the Queen of Holland and the Queen of England and a bunch of, dog, uh, a bunch of actors here in the United States. And my father somehow connected with him. And now he becomes the connection. And now his wife takes an interest in our music and our band. And she says, I'll tell you what. Finish your album. Come out to Singapore. Tour for three months. And then go to the BBC in London and you can record this music. And I will pay for it all, she said. And back in those days, it was better to make it in England first and then come back to the States. And so we were excited and everything. Meanwhile, we're studying the Bible, going to church. And I'll never forget a night where, and so what was going on now is Vinnie D now wants to get us quickly on the, on the, on the books because she, he knows that this other lady wants to get us to Singapore. And so we're going to sign these papers uh, to record this album for Vinnie D. And he comes over with an actor uh, to our church, I mean, to, to my house, to sign these, so that we can sign these contracts. My keyboard player was there, my bass player was there, the singer was there, I was there, Tony was late. I'll never forget the day Tony comes in, that moment that Tony comes in, and we're all like, come on, Tony, hurry up, what are you doing? And he says, guys, and I could just tell, he was really nervous, he was breathing heavy. He says, guys, I just, uh, I just need you to know that I, I'm quitting the band. We're all like, what? What do you mean you're quitting the band? And he goes on to talk about how his heart was changed and, 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 and that, that he was convicted of this and his big arguments are going back and forth. And, and I take Tony, I said, look, let me just talk to Tony. I take him upstairs. I said, Tony, please don't do this. We've been... We've been talking about this forever. I mean, I, I get your church thing. I got a church to do with you, you know. But it didn't mean the same thing that it meant to Tony yet. And I actually talked Tony into thinking about it. And, 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 and actually, and he actually, this is what he said to me. He says, look, I, I tell you what, Sergio. He says, we pray tonight when everybody leaves. And tomorrow morning, we will sign the papers unless God does something so that we will not sign the papers. Okay, I thought that was fair, right? I didn't want my hands to be broken or anything like that, but I thought, you know, we can make this work. And that, that evening they all left, and uh, the next day, we, so we prayed. I'll never forget praying that night and asking God to do a miracle. And after my prayer, I heard thunderstorm outside again. There's something about God speaking to me in thunderstorms. And I opened my Bible, did my whole, like, put your finger here. God, God, talk to me, please. You know, kind of a thing. I'll never forget reading, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The next day, we got a phone call the keyboard player of the band and he said you know we left and we kept with uh, we're almost done by the way you guys have been really patient thank you uh, we kept talking with uh, Vinny D and we decided we're going to quit the band we're going to break up the band we're going to do our own thing we don't need you guys in it and I'm like what do you mean, what do you, mean you guys 
And uh, it was kind of messy because we had equipment that we had all included in. And, all, and I was like, okay. I knew that God had answered the prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I remember hanging up crying like a baby because two things. Number one, I knew that God had answered my prayer. Number two, all I knew how to do was play the drums. What was I going to do now? I remember calling Tony and we got together and we prayed and we kept studying the Bible and God kept changing my life a little bit at a time. There's so many other aspects of this that I, I just don't have the time to tell you. But just little by little, you just God just kept working and working and working and working and working. And the next thing you know, my heart was changed. And on September 27, 1980, I was baptized. And uh, that's, uh, that's my baptismal picture right there. I'm the guy in white. Again, no comments, please. Uh, but I was pretty kind of like, you know, trying to, and by the way, Tony is the guy next to the, the pastor that's holding the mic. And if anybody's been to New York, that's the Yonkers Church, just in case you want to know. <laughs> I think about that. I think about it, I almost settled for success instead of fulfillment. Since then, being a pastor has been the adventure of my life. I've been to places I would never imagine. And although I am nowhere near as wealthy as I thought I would have been, I have never lacked anything. How good is God, huh? So that Thursday, I waited on the deck of the ship as we were saying goodbye to people. I was scanning the horizon. And my grandma was there, my uncles were there, friends and family were there. But I was looking for just one person. You know who that was, right? Would she come? And then suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I heard her little voice screaming at the top of her lungs. Sergio! And then she comes, and she has a piece of paper in her hand. And she holds it up, and she says, Sergio, I still have it. All those years afterwards, I still have it. And put the picture of it. My sister just sent me this this morning. I didn't even know we had this picture. But the lady in red right there, and, and talking to the other lady, the two of them together, that's Miss Pavoni right there. And I found out later through a series of other ways that what she had done is that she had turned coming to my port to say goodbye into a field trip. And all the kids waited outside. And I know this from one of the kids that became an adult who found me on Facebook and told me the whole story afterwards. Unbelievable. But she had turned it just to come and say goodbye just to let me know that she loved me, just to let me know that she still had this picture, that she had kept it all along. One day I will see her again. Of that I am convinced. And maybe I'll get a chance to introduce you to her.
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I know the one in whom I put my trust. I am sure that he is able to keep safe that which I have trusted to him until the day he comes again. Amen? You've got to believe that God can do that. From the moment we are born, we have this longing. We are all yearning for this encounter, an encounter that will satisfy the deep desires of our hearts and only the desire of ages. Jesus Christ can fill that satisfaction. The Bible says, once you have tasted the Lord Jesus Christ, all else seems tasteless. So come, sit at the table, come taste his grace, come and be with him, come as you are, and join us in the next few months as we encounter him. And, my, and, and, and may that encounter change your life and encourage those around you forever. And I pray and hope that as we move forward in this journey together, that the Spirit will touch our lives and that we will know each other better and know Him even more. Amen? Thank you for being so patient today and listening just a little longer than normal. I appreciate it.